Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to today's episode of Jonathan on Money. This week, we're going in focus where we explore more advanced wealth planning topics. Today, we'll discuss moving to Israel, top financial planning considerations. Today's show will cover the tax consequent considerations associated with immigrating Israel, whether you're a student in your 20s, an entrepreneur in your 30s, you're wishing to retire in Israel. Your plans concerning your immigration to Israel must also take into account the Israeli and U.S tax ramifications associated with the immigration. Today's show will discuss tax issues such as determining at what point you first become an Israeli tax resident, taking full advantage of the current 10-year tax holiday for those who became Israeli residents for the first time, and dealing with the tax issues associated with being a creator or a beneficiary of a U.S. trust. Today, we're very privileged to hear from Boaz Feinberg, who is the partner and the head of the tax practice at our known Todd Moore Levy based in Tel Aviv, Israel. Before I share the rest of Boaz's bio, I just want to extend a very special thank you to him for taking the time to speak. I'm sure giving a webinar on financial and tax planning is the last thing on his mind in light of the horrific terrorist attacks perpetrated by Hamas on Israeli civilians and the ensuing war in Gaza. I want to express that our thoughts and prayers are with his family, the people of Israel, the hostages, and the soldiers on the front lines. Now, by way of background, Boaz has nearly two decades of experience in taxation and financial regulation on both administrative and regulative levels, as well as in litigation. In the area of domestic and international tax law, Boaz specializes in advising and acting on behalf of corporations and high net worth individuals. He also provides advice in tax planning on mergers and acquisitions and other complex international transactions. In the field of civil law, Boaz advises various trusts throughout their establishment and ongoing activities, advises and represents clients before the Israeli tax authorities and various judicial instances, including in the Israeli Voluntary Disclosure Program. Today, Boaz will be speaking on moving to Israel, top financial planning considerations. And with that introduction, I'll now turn the program over to Boaz. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for the warm introduction and for having me as always. And good morning to everybody. Uh, speaking here from Israel, um, as though you all know, we are going through uh, dire times uh, since Simchat uh, Torah, October 7th. Um, but I can tell you that, um, that aside to the atrocities and the misery and heartbreak on the families of people who uh, were murdered and abducted, you can see the strength of Am Israel. Uh, you can see the people, everybody in Israel are engaged, volunteering, making sure that uh, we're all going through this together uh, and we will prevail. And we are all optimistic that we will prevail. And um, so, you know, um, with with the uh, bad things that are happening, we are optimistic. This is one chapter, a very miserable chapter, but only a chapter in Medinat uh, Israel, uh, the state of Israel, and uh, the Zionist project. So we have uh, half an hour or even a bit less to go through um, 
things that are related to uh, going, moving into Israel, uh, specifically based on tax issues. Um, the agenda, um, um, the agenda will uh, consist of discussing shortly the tenure tax survey for Olim, a step up in basis conundrum, which is something that I haven't discussed uh, in previous webinars uh, that I uh, gave, which is something interesting uh, and very unique to uh, certain uh, uh, circumstances. Real estate taxation, I will remind uh, uh, the people what happens if they make aliyah and they purchase uh, either a residence or a commercial property, whether they do this from Israel or they enter Israel. Uh, a bit about taxation of trust, which is something that I could talk about for hours, just that topic. And uh, we'll end with wills and DPAs on durable power of attorneys. Um, the legal infrastructure in Israel when it comes to tax, basically two uh, major laws that uh, concern us. One is the income tax ordinance uh, of 1961, and the other is the land tax law with purchase and sale from 1963. And just uh, definitions for uh, this today's topic, people who immigrate to Israel and become citizens of Israel, anyone who is Jewish uh, or has uh, Jewish ancestry may uh, come to Israel and become a citizen of Israel. You do need to note though that making Aliyah, becoming a citizen of Israel doesn't necessarily make you an Israeli resident. And the verse, also applies, meaning if you come to Israel, even if it's on a tourist visa, and I can assure you that if you're Jewish and you extend your tourist visa, nothing really bad would happen to you just for staying longer in Israel. But uh, there are many of those who come to Israel do not make the Aliyah process and think that by that they do not become a resident of Israel. And that, of course, is a mistake you may become a resident of Israel for tax purposes if your center of life is in Israel, meaning all the indication, indications that uh, are connected to your center of life, your place of residence, the, the time you spend here, if you spend an ample amount of time in Israel, if your social life is here, your um, uh, financial uh, ties are here, then you become an Israeli resident even if you're not, despite the fact that you did not become actually a citizen and did not make the Aliyah process. With regard to the tenure tax holiday, uh, the tenure tax holiday for new immigrants and for senior returning residents, those who spent more than 10 years, consecutive 10 years as foreign residents of Israel, they still enjoy since 2007, the tenure tax holiday which provides for certain tax uh, benefits. The first and foremost, tenure tax holiday on foreign source income, whether those are passive or business in nature, and as long as the income is derived outside Israel. With regard to passive, pretty straightforward. If it's uh, dividends from uh, companies, if it's uh, interest payments on loans, and if we're discussing business income, then there's the issue of where are you actually providing the services from? If you have a business and let's say, for example, that you're a doctor and you decided to make Aliyah to Israel and you provide services from Israel via Zoom or on email and on calls, 
that would mean that you're actually providing that service from Israel, and that would mean that you are uh, generating business income from Israel. The tax authorities say that the way to determine what portion of the business income would be taxed in Israel and what not is based on the number of days that you spend during a tax year. Tax year, by the way, in Israel is from January 1st to December 31st, similar to the United States. And if so, for example, you spend four months outside Israel in the United States, meaning patients, clients, whatnot, and the rest of the time you are in Israel spending time here, then the tax authorities would make the same allocation and would claim that um, the eight months that you spend in Israel would be taxable in Israel uh, on the proportionality of, of your income. That, of course, is something that may be uh, disputed by the tax uh, person. And he may claim that even though he spent, let's say, for example, those four months, but he would claim that the value to the work that he is providing is much more significant from the work that he's providing from outside Israel, then he may claim, based on an economic um, valuation that he may uh, get, that um, uh, it is actually more than uh, four months that should be allocated to the uh, non-taxable income uh, that he is generating. The other thing that you get under the 10-year tax holiday is an exemption on reporting on your foreign source income. This is something that the tax authorities for a very long time uh, have been against and want to ratify. Uh, as, uh, as today, they did not manage to do so. Uh, we're pretty sure that they are looking to do that. And we're now dealing with other issues that are much more uh, burning than uh, dealing with uh, uh, the... Uh, exemption on reporting, but uh, we're guessing that this exemption specifically will not stay for a long time. The other thing is the 10-year uh, linear defense on capital gain. You get, if you make aliyah, and as long as we're discussing an asset that is outside Israel, you get a 10-year tax exemption on the capital gain on the sale of such an asset. And moreover, you get a linear defense on the time that is um, the spread between the date of the purchase of the asset and the uh, end of the year 10 years. So for example, if you purchased a share in the year 2000 for $1, you made a liyah in the year 2010, and you ended your 10-year tax holiday in 2020 and sold the asset in 2030, that will mean that uh, and, and in 2030, the share is worth $100. Then you have a $99 spread in which the proportionality of the time spent, time elapsed between nine, uh, 2000 when you purchased the asset and the end of your 10 years tax holiday in 2020 out of the time that elapsed from date of purchase to the sale that portion would be tax exempt in Israel. So it's not about a step up in basis. You do not get a step up in basis when you make Aliyah, all right? The asset will be, uh, his, its value and the spread will be determined uh, as any other asset from the date of purchase, original purchase price and date. But you do get the linear defense uh, and that is as long as you are the person who is selling the, uh, the, the asset. And, and we'll discuss the issue of the step-up and basis conundrum 
in a minute. One more thing that should be noteworthy, special circumstances for students and soldiers. Soldiers, specifically those who are coming now, and there are many of those who are coming, and we're very grateful for those who are coming to volunteer in the Israeli army right now, and those not necessarily in the army come in and volunteer in all sorts of other uh, projects uh, to assist with uh, the survivors of uh, the massacre um, and, and, and many others. And, and we're, of course, grateful for those. Um, but um, if you are a soldier, and as long as you did not make the uh, act of Aliyah and did not become a citizen of Israel, the time you spend here in Israel as a soldier, even though you would be considered uh, an Israeli resident because you are, your central wife is here, that time would not be considered as if you are an Israeli resident. You will be considered a foreign resident for that purpose. And uh, a special uh, effort for students who come here for uh, studying in Israel, um, and they have at least 50% uh, half a curriculum. Um, they are entitled for the first three years of their life in Israel, even though they are living here and their center of life is here, not to be considered Israeli residents. So a person who comes, for example, now and is studying uh, in college or in a kolel, uh, in a yeshiva, uh, or in university, of course, then for the first three years, as long as he does not make the Aliyah process and does not become an Israeli citizen, then those three years he would be considered a foreign resident and will not owe taxes in Israel on his foreign sourced income. And then if he decides to stay in Israel, then he would uh, start his 10-year tax all day from that point on. The issue of the step-up and basis conundrum is uh, something that is specifically unique to a circumstance which is not uncommon of a person who makes aliyah to Israel after his children are already in Israel. And that is, of course, something that may happen. Uh, a person who uh, would uh, has his children come to Israel, live in Israel, raise a family, his grandchildren are here, and now he has a debate on whether uh, he would retire in Florida, for example, or Arizona, or perhaps come live in Israel, and Israel is a great place to retire. Um, and you also have the benefit of being close to your grandchildren and your children. And so that's all good and well, except that once you enter into Israel, your assets are entering the Israeli tax net. Now, we discussed in the previous slides that if you enter Israel, you get the 10-year tax holiday on capital gains, and you also get the linear defense. But if you pass away, and now the asset is inherited to your child in Israel, when he sells the asset, he did not get a step up in basis. He's not entitled to a 10-year tax holiday. Let's suppose that he's already way over those 10 years. That would mean that when he sells the asset, he would have to pay taxes in Israel on the entire spread from the original purchase date and on the original purchase price. And that is the reason for that is that Israel does not have a state tax or inheritance tax. And therefore, there is no step up in basis upon inheritance. There is a possibility if the person who um, passed away did not move to Israel, and uh, his child in Israel receives the asset, then there is a unique uh, ruling that you may file to the tax authorities 
requesting to get a step up in basis for the date of death. But that would not be applicable if the person who passed away moved to Israel before that. Um, there are things to do about that. And if anyone wants to further discuss this specific issue, then uh, I'm happy to uh, discuss this in private. Uh, you can uh, reach out to me in, in uh, an email and we uh, can further discuss. There are things that you could do that uh, would minimize uh, and mitigate the tax exposures, which may be, uh, may be immense. I can give you another example. Um, since there is no step up in basis, that would mean that if the original purchase date and price were not by the person who passed away, but rather by his parents, and those parents passed away after 1981, then the original purchase price and purchase date can go all the way back to the grandparents uh, purchasing the asset. So it could really get to an enormous tax bill if you do not take care of that specific uh, issue of the step up in basis. Moving along, real estate taxation benefits for new immigrants. Um, just a primer on this uh, section 9A, we are discussing uh, just the, the purchase tax, uh, not the capital gain. Uh, the purchase tax and the real estate transaction purchaser is required to pay real estate purchase tax, uh, which would be at a rate relative to the value of the sale or at a fixed amount determined by the type of sale of the real estate. And there is a distinction between vacant land or commercial and uh, living apartment or residential apartment. If it's a land, um, then whether you are a foreign or an Israeli resident, you uh, would pay uh, 6%. Um, if it is a, um, uh, a residential, then you would find yourself, if you're a foreign person, paying uh, a minimum of 8% and up to 10%. Um, and you can see the, uh, um, the steps, um, the 8% is up to 5,800,000 shekels, and anything above that, you would have to pay 10%. If, however, you're an Israeli resident and you're purchasing your first apartment, um, then you have two separate uh, types of easements on the purchase tax. One is if it's a single apartment, um, then you would pay a substantially lower purchase tax. The first 1.9 million shekels would be not taxed at all. Anything between 1.9 to 2.276 million shekels at 3.5, and as you can see in the slide. However, in addition to the single apartment, there is also an easement for a new immigrant, someone who actually made Aliyah, made the Aliyah process, became a citizen of Israel and has it to Zatole. He can purchase his apartment as long as it's his dwelling apartment and would pay on the first 1.9 million shekels, 0.5%. And anything above that, a max rate of 5%, it will not go up to the 8 and 10%. So as an example, um, I, I uh, used a simulator on uh, purchase tax. Um, if you purchased uh, an apartment in Israel for $3 million, for example, um, if it's your single apartment easement, then you would pay 646,000 shekels. And if it's you're using your Olechadash exemption, then you uh, pay only uh, 490,000 shekels. Um, so that's an example for uh, an apartment worth $3 million. One other thing that is not written here, 
Um, if you purchase your apartment before you make the actual aliyah, before you become an Israeli resident, you still may enjoy the single apartment uh, exemption and the new immigrant exemption, provided that uh, when it comes to single apartment, you purchased it uh, two years before your aliyah, before you became an Israeli resident. Uh, and for new immigrants, you have one year before you uh, became uh, an Israeli resident to purchase the apartment and then move to Israel. As to trusts, trust is something that is very common in the United States, not necessarily for asset protection or for uh, tax uh, planning, but rather as a substitution to probate. Many Americans uh, who are using a grantor trust where they are usually both the sellers, trustees, and the beneficiaries. Um, and Israel treats uh, the taxation of trust was something that is fairly new since 2006 uh, and revised substantially in 2014. Uh, and the taxation of trust, particularly for international families, is a nightmare in Israel. Uh, I have to tell you, it's not an easy issue and you must be well prepared before you touch base in Israel, whether it is you as a seller, whether it is any of your beneficiaries, you want to make sure that you're not getting hit by unnecessary Israeli taxes. Um, the way that uh, trusts in Israel are taxed is based on their classification. The classification are based on the identity and residency of the seller and the beneficiaries. It is not based not on the uh, registration of the trust and is not based on the identity of the trustee. So it all depends on whether the settler or the beneficiaries are Israeli residents or not. And if one of them is an Israeli resident, then you're starting to get into uh, taxation of trusts in Israel. Um, the uh, Israeli resident trust, the regular trust, uh, I would say, uh, for tax purposes is usually when the settler is an Israeli resident. And it doesn't matter for, for, for that matter if the beneficiaries are uh, in Israel or not. Once the seller of a trust is an Israeli resident, then it's an Israeli resident trust. That would mean that if you are in the United States and you make Aliyah, and that would automatically, if you have a trust, would turn that trust into an Israeli resident trust. Uh, another way to have an Israeli resident trust is if a person who is a beneficiary of the trust makes aliyah, becomes an Israeli resident, and the settlers, none of them are alive. And, and those, of course, are could be also common trusts, especially if they are generation skipping trusts in which the grandparents uh, formed the trusts, were the settlers of the trust, and when that beneficiary comes into Israel, they are no longer alive. That also would be classified as an Israeli resident trust, um, which basically uh, taxes the regular in income of the trust in Israel uh, uh, in its full. And this is another issue that we're having trouble with the way that the law was drafted and the interpretation of the Israeli tax authorities. In their mind, under the uh, their interpretation of the law, it doesn't matter if there are other beneficiaries of that trust who are not Israeli residents. Once you have one uh, beneficiary living in Israel and the settlers are not alive and there are other beneficiaries who are living outside Israel, 
that will be classified as an Israeli resident trust if the settlers are not alive. And that means that the entire trust income would be taxable in Israel in the eyes of Israeli tax authority. A lot of things that you need to make sure you do before you make Aliyah uh, in order to mitigate that exposure. The relatives trust, also common when it comes to immigration to Israel, is when a beneficiary moves to Israel and the settlers are still alive. That type of trust is uh, taxed in a different way than an Israeli resident trust. It would be usually on a default position, be taxed on the actual uh, distributions made to the Israeli beneficiary, or if he wants, he may elect to tax the regular ongoing annual income of the trust that is uh, allocated to his share. Um, and that is also something that needs, uh, of course, knowledge and uh, and planning before making the idea. And then there's the foreign beneficiary trust, which is also something that may be used by those who come live in Israel and know specifically that their beneficiaries would probably never come live in Israel. And then you can use the foreign beneficiary trust, which is a trust that basically would keep the asset, the income uh, outside the Israeli tax net as long as those beneficiaries do not become Israeli residents. So that's another thing that is usually used by settlers who have a trust and, and wish to plan ahead. With regard to wills, a will, um, unlike in the United States, a will is something that is commonly used in Israel uh, and not grant or trust as a way to uh, distribute uh, the, the assets of, of someone who passed away to his inheritors. Uh, wills in Israel um, are usually have no limitations on the testator's wishes under a will. He can decide to bequeath to any person he wants. It doesn't have to necessarily be to his family. He can decide on allocation. He can decide almost whatever he wants uh, under an Israeli will with no limitations. If a person, by the way, comes to live in Israel and passes away that, and has no will, then uh, the intestate inheritance uh, would provide for the 50-50 rule. 50% goes to his spouse and the other 50% to his immediate descendants. Um, and there is the concept of the mutual will, which is something that is uh, commonly used in Israel to make sure that if, one, uh, if you have a couple and one of them passes away, you want to make sure that the remaining spouse uh, would not bequeath uh, the inheritance to others other than uh, the children of the person who passed away. So the mutual will is a mechanism that would allow uh, for that portion that was inherited to the remaining spouse, the surviving spouse, to be bequeathed to the children of uh, the surviving spouse after his passing. And lastly, with regard to durable powers attorney, it's a fairly new legal tool uh, since 2017, allows the person to determine who will take care of his matters and make decisions on his behalf. Uh, if he is uh, in capacity and financial health issues, uh, it must be prepared by a lawyer who is certified to perform a durable power of attorney. And there are certain issues that you need to know. Uh, what are uh, things that are allowed to be under a durable power of attorney and what types of assets uh, and gifts that you want to make on behalf 
of the person uh, require uh, a court's ruling. For example, real estate is something that uh, cannot be determined under a durable power of attorney. If uh, the uh, person holding the power of attorney uh, wishes to uh, have any transaction in real estate, he would have to approach the courts. Um, that's just one example. Um, I think that's it. Uh, and I was able to put all that in, in uh, less than half an hour. And I am uh, I wish to thank everybody who participated in this. And uh, of course, to any questions you may have, I'm happy to answer an email. Uh, and I'm uh, sending this back to Jonathan. And I wish to thank you, Jonathan, again for this opportunity. Thank you, Boaz, for sharing your insights on the topic of Moon Israel, top financial planning considerations. Given what's going on in the world with rampant anti-Semitism, there will likely be a wave of Jews from around the world who want to move to Israel. This is an important decision with many tax and financial implications and should not be done on a whim. Moving to Israel is a wonderful decision, but it's important to make sure you plan well in advance for the financial and tax impacts. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, as I end every episode, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's a spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Jonathan on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.